God's Word. If you're new with us today, we have been in a journey. Uh, we are in week seven, I believe it is, uh, of one to the power of one. Each one, disciple one. The series starts out um, in the first half of the session. The series is becoming a disciple. The, the whole journey is becoming a disciple. Who makes disciples? Uh, and so we're still in that first half of the journey of looking at our own personal discipleship. We've had uh, in this journey the pursuit of holiness, that when we come to Christ, there's a call in our life to be holy uh, and to pursue that. And it's a constant pursuit in this, this crazy old flesh we walk in. Private worship. What does that mean that we have private worship? It helps us not be so starving for worship that we they better do what I like at church or else I don't get much worship that week. But if we come together full of private worship in our private journey, we can overflow and be here for others in this one chance we have an hour and a half to two hours a week. Or if we're at community group during the week or, you know, but still look at the number of hours we have in a week and how many we ask you to be here at church. And, and to come, and that's the whole purpose of coming together is to be together. And, and that private worship turns into a public worship of richness and flowing and loving and, and being here for each other and plenty of, of love, of, of the flow of the Spirit, of encouragement to go around. And in that public worship, we looked at observing the sacraments and how important those are. What are sacraments? What do we recognize as sacraments? And what do they mean in the life of the church? And in the individual believer's life and part of our discipleship. And then witnessing, sharing with others and, and looking at how, you know, that's the only reason God has us here. He's got heaven locked and loaded for us, folks, ready to bring us home away from ISIS, away from your crabby neighbor, away from yeah, someone's got a crabby neighbor. Um, and, and, and God's ready to bring us home and he aches over the struggles that he sees. He aches when our body aches and we can't walk around the way we used to. He aches when we get hurt in our heart by sin in our world. He aches when we struggle with sin and stumble in a, in a, in a moment of weakness. He, his heart breaks over that. That's what he died for. He wants to bring us home, but there's something more important. And that is that we have a mission here to do. If we were done with it, we'd be there. We're still here. We're not done with it. And so witnessing. And then last week was discipling other believers. So I want you to grab your note sheet out of your bulletin. Uh, the full page on the back of it is supplemental information for community groups, some that are going through this and also for your personal study. If you're not a part of those groups, you can go a little further into the ideas that are shared from God's word today. And you'll see that it is uh, in one to the power of one in our saying with our track and field imagery we've had all the way through. Part of becoming a disciple is this word that, you know, uh, uh, ushers, can you lock those doors, please, from the outside to keep anyone from escaping because they're going to hear the word stewardship. Let me hear a woohoo. We're going to celebrate stewardship. And you know what? It's not all going to be what you might be thinking today. It's more. And it's good. It's good. And I think it will help us. Put it into perspective. With our track and field imagery that we've had, you see there the one of the relay teams. Those are some beautiful ladies with beautiful smiles. And, and that looks like they probably just won a relay race. And they're wrapped in the American flag. They've got USA blazoned on the front of them. We've talked about that. The name on the front is more important than the name on the back. We've talked about that already. But this is just showing me this idea that with the Olympic Committee that puts a lot of money into sending these athletes... And these athletes, as amateurs, they have to have sponsors. They can't be paid, but they can have sponsors to help them with equipment. The U.S. Olympic Committee gets sponsors. When it's getting time to be Olympics, you see so many commercials that pull up this logo that says official sponsor U.S. Olympics with the star logo on it. And so many people clamoring to be sponsors. And they're putting up the dough. They're buying the equipment. They're paying your way to go. And you have some responsibility to them. We see sponsors pull back their sponsorship if their athletes do not represent what the company once represented well. So there's some responsibility. There's some other sports to get out of the track and field. I know this might hit a few of you that you'd like an image like this. Some of you are NASCAR fans. And you see those cars there and you see the idea of sponsorship. Now, that one in the middle, the blue one, looks like it's pretty well identified. Its identity is secure. It's all tell. I don't know what that is, but I don't see there may be a couple other stickers on there sneaking in there, but you can pretty much tell that's the all tell car. If you've ever seen Jeff Foxworthy, he has a routine where he talks about the, the car and he rattles off all these sponsors that own the Chevy Chevrolet and whatever. 
But you see the car up above there. Uh, it has mobile on the hood, and I think it's Red Bull on the back left quarter panel. And then it's, I think, Kenwood, I think, which is a speaker or stereo thing on the, on the hood, or the trunk, if you want to call it that. So this guy's got, okay, whose car really is it? Is it mobile? Is it Red Bull? Is it, uh, Little Identity Crisis? The one in the front here is Valvoline and Jim Beam. Now, Jim Beam, what a great sponsor for a, a driving high-speed race. Isn't it? You know? Driver's got all the supply he wants for life, and, isn't that crazy? Anyhow, whose car really is it anyhow? Now, I'm going to ruffle some feathers here as a Dodger fan. Because we're talking about knowing who you belong to. This really confuses me here. I'm, I'm really baffled by this. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. What? The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? Who do you belong to? If I was an Anaheim resident, I'd be mad thinking, why am I not good enough for the Angels to just be my Anaheim Angels? You're in Anaheim, be the Anaheim Angels. <laughs> Sorry, I, I really would cheer for the Angels against anybody but the Dodgers, actually. But, but this just confuses me. This baffles me. And, you know, who do you belong to? Whose are you, angels? <laughs> well, stewardship answers those questions in our life. Stewardship, here's the definition. Steward, a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as the agent of another or others. Becoming disciples means that we become stewards. We recognize something different as we've come to God in faith and have come to know Him. In the movie Freaky Friday, this mother and daughter, this mother and daughter, was that not a good transition? <laughs> it, it, they, this mother and daughter find themselves becoming stewards of the other's body. And, and the mother is inside the teenage body, and the teenager is inside the mother's body. We're going to see a little bit of their moment of discovery and, and a little bit of some stewardship struggles. Let's watch. Yes, yes, 
I see what you're saying. A, a, a joke. Okay, you go over there, and I go over here. Okay, now when I say go, ready? Now. Go. And what goes down your mouth goes right to your thighs. <laughs> uh, if you didn't hear that very well in that, in that line, that's what you You can't eat this because you're in my body and what you eat affects my body. And, and this stewardship of someone else's body, someone else's stuff. And today I want to share a statement with you that, that because we follow God and we think of this idea of Christian stewardship, what, what do you think is the first word that comes to most people's mind when we start talking stewardship? We're going to start preaching on what? Well, money, tithe, okay, money or tithe. And now, is that swallowed up in this? Of course it is. But Christian stewardship, and tithe is 10%. Tithe literally means tenth, the God instruction word for those who follow him to bring 10% into the storehouse so that the needs of the community can be met. But Christian stewardship is not a scale of obedience. Well, you know, I, I think God understands I can only afford 7%. Or, you know what, I gave my 10%, and so I'm good. I'm, I'm a good Christian, I gave my 10%. It, it, Christian stewardship is not a scale of obedience, but it is a lifestyle of recognizing God's ownership. Stewardship is I'm living... In understanding that God owns some things. <laughs> and, and those things He owns that are within my influence, within my decision-making power, within my responsibility, they're His. They're not mine. And how does Scripture establish that? Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In Exodus 19, it says the whole earth is mine. The whole earth. And in Job, as he's speaking to him, when Job's kind of bellyaching, he says, hey, everything under heaven belongs to me. So we think we got a lot of nice stuff. But God owns and everything belongs to him. You know that God made your car? You know that? Now, he didn't form the quarter panel. Some factory did that, but that's after some factory made this thing called sheet metal that after someone else had dug into God's earth and gotten the ore that's necessary to make metal. <laughs> and, and all the leather, where's leather come from? You nice, you have a car nice enough to have some leather? Kudos to you. God bless you. But where'd the leather come from? It's funny how cow skin can be so glamorous. <laughs> and even the synthetic plastics, my car's probably 90% plastic. But all the chemical elemental aspects that come together that man has learned to put together to make all these wonderful things, all we're doing is fashioning stuff that God's made for us. And so God's made everything. He's made what you're sitting on. The wood of the pews is from trees. He's made you. He's made your jewelry. He's made your clothes. 
He's made everything, whether it's synthetic or natural fiber, it doesn't really matter. God has made everything and it is all his. So, see, stewardship then is not what I do with 10% of my possessions, belongings, but what I do with 100%. What do I do with 100%? You know, Israel, God dealt with them. They were very faithful religiously. And they were faithful with tithes. They were faithful with temple times. But at points in their history when they were, during the week, having the other gods on their hearts, or even in one scripture saying they were sacrificing their own children to the Baals, to the other gods, and then coming in my house to worship They were given their time. They were given the time that was allotted for worship of God. They were bringing their tithes. They were doing the the 10%, so to speak, faithfulness. But they were unfaithful during the week with the other 90% of their life and livelihood and worship and dependence on God. And so what do I do with 100%? If I give my 10 to the church... But I'm buying things that dishonor God's heart with a portion of what's left over. Well, I gave God my ten, so He's good. I can buy the pornography. I can buy this. I can buy this stuff. I can, I can squander it on this and that and the other thing. Stewardship is, hey, every penny I've got is God's. That's a life of stewardship. Every penny, everything I am, everything I've got my gifts and my ability. We'll get into that in just a little bit. So some of the things for us to think about as being stewards, we're going to kind of put some words together that don't normally come together. This first one does, though. We're familiar with this term. I'm a house sitter. You and I each are just a house sitter. Uh, Amy's sister Katie would often, there was a family in the church at Whittier, that uh, a married couple, they, they had some pretty decent income and a beautiful large home and they'd travel quite a bit and she'd get to go and they had a swimming pool and they had a, this cat that had some special needs. Um, it was pretty neat. But Katie would go and they had this awesome family room with a karaoke thing on the TV and I mean just this big beautiful home. She'd go and house sit. She had to feed the cat at certain times. They left her certain instructions of how to care for certain things in the home. Uh, but she could enjoy it and live in it and sleep in it and have people over to, to have karaoke. And I mean, it was just it was a very fun thing, but it was always under the knowledge that this is their home and I need to take care of it. And I need to be responsible with all that they've asked me to be responsible with. You know, I, I think I may have shared with you before that I house sat for a family when I was a youth intern in Camarillo. Uh, the McMahon family. And if you remember this story, uh, forgive me for sharing it again, but I just, uh, it's so funny to me. This family was, uh, had a junior high boy and a girl that was just getting ready to come into junior high at the time, the McMahons. They had a big spread with some orchard and they had a horse in a kind of a small corral. They had dogs and cats and it was kind of this farm environment. And they were like, you know, uh, the dogs and cats, they just kind of do what they do. And so we end up having more all the time. You know what I mean? And, and it's, you know, it's just, we, and, and if they get hurt, we don't pay vet bills. They're just animals. Now, some of you are going, oh, <laughs> but you know, we do, we don't pay vet bills. This is, this is a farm and these are farm animals and nature takes its course and, and yeehaw. And, and they were leaving for a vacation and leaving me uh, in charge of that whole thing for a week. And we're in the kitchen. They're giving me some instructions and, and, and the kids are there helping make the dinner on this last night before they leave. And, and, uh, and again, Ryan, you're a junior high boy and a girl almost into junior high. Sweet kids. Awesome family. And, and they're telling me, you know, okay, well, you know that we don't pay vet bills. So if, if one of the dogs gets a hold of one of the cats and injures them, and I've seen them do this, where a dog played rough with a kitten and ripped its belly open. And, and the boy just so carefully and gently picked up this kitten to not hurt it any more than he could help it, being so gentle and careful and setting it calmly under the shade of a little tree and then pulling up the rifle and boom in the head and throwing him in the trash can. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that too much information? <laughs> but I saw this and, I, and I'm, I'm one, I like pets. <laughs> Sew it up, fix it up, let's, let's help them, you know. So I've seen that. And they said, well, you've seen what we do. We don't pay vet bills, so you know where the, the gun and the shells are in, in Bill's closet. Um, and so if something happens, you know what to do. I'm like, oh. 
please, God, no. And and then they even said, you know, and if something happens to the horse, if he breaks a leg or something like that, you know, you know where the gun and the shells are, put it right between the eyes. And I think you can get and the dad's going, I think you can get like 20 bucks at the at the dump for the horse. There's a come along in the shed. And I'm just like, I can picture this horse's body going as I'm cranking this come along, sliding in the dirt and trying to pick up a horse at the dump. And, you know, but and I'm thinking he's joking. But the kids are just chopping the carrots and, you know, and I'm like, they're not reacting at all. And we said that, he goes, I think you can get, I think he said, I think you can get 19 bucks at the, at the dump. And, and the, the junior high boy goes, no, dad, I think it's 20 now. And, and he just keeps chopping. I was like, whoa. But I was left in charge of this kind of an environment. So I went out and I duct taped the horse to a pole so he couldn't go anywhere and couldn't get hurt. I just, no, I didn't. But see, when we're house-sitting, we're in charge of other people's stuff. We're enjoying it almost as if it's our own. We get the benefit of it all. Can ride the horse, can play with the dogs, can eat stuff off the trees, can cook in the kitchen, use the pots and pans. Listen to Mark 13. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You, don't, you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the, the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at dawn. If he comes suddenly... Do not let him find you sleeping. See, Jesus equates the Lord coming back to a man who's left his home. He's left his servants in charge. And another passage says, it is good for that servant whom he finds doing his will when he comes back. And so stewardship is that we are a house sitter of God's creation. Of all everything that he owns and has. That's how we left Adam. He had him name things. It was from the very start. It was his plan. We were meant to have dominion under God's leadership in the proper relationship. But he gave this stuff for us to enjoy. He made it for us to enjoy. Now, imagine if it was that scale and we're just thinking 10 percent good stewardship. It's a part of good stewardship, but in and of itself, it is not. Because if the owner, if the McMahons came back and I was like, um, 10% 10% of your house is still standing. I'm not sure they would invite me to house sit for their new home. <laughs> I'm fired. Donald Trump, you're fired. Um, but so, 10%, we're house sitters, all that God has given to us. And next, here's some words that don't go together, but thinking of that being a sitter, I'm a life sitter. Corinthians says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. I know I've used this a lot, and it's it's not a very uh, it's not funny or any. It's just kind of cute. But a little boy who who put a lot of effort into making a sailboat and 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 tying this tying the strings on using strings and real fabric for sails and 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 picturing in his mind what the, those sails would look like when some wind puffed into them and filled them out and. And, and, and imagining little tiny wake behind this little boat that he made when it gets to sail and he just poured all this dream and potential into this little sailboat and he takes it out to the, the, the pond lake near their neighborhood and, and, and wants to see it sail finally in its time and he puts it in the water and he's just, he just gets so wrapped up in watching the sails fill up and the little thing behind it that all of a sudden he realizes it's out too far and he can't get it and, and, and the wind, gust of wind, takes it to where there's just no way he could catch and his little sailboat is gone and he lost it. And then he's coming back. Uh, one day he's walking around from school and he goes by a pawn shop and he sees his little boat that someone had found on another shore and they had pawned it to get something for themselves and it's sitting there on a shelf not doing what it was designed to do. And he goes in and he asks the, the shop owner, how much, that's my boat, that's my boat, I made it. And he goes, son, I spent money on it. It's going to be this much for you to get it. So he goes and he starts mowing lawns and he starts 
working and raking leaves, going to all the neighbors. What can I do for five bucks here? What can I do for ten bucks here? Can I wash your car? And he's just, he is just in, investing himself into getting this boat back. And he goes back with the money and pulls up all these crumpled bills back to the guy and goes, I think I got it, mister. I think I got it. And, and he's counting out. Oh, you're still a penny. Oh, a penny. Oh, I think I got it. I know I had it. Oh, there it is. Oh, oh. And, and, the, and the guy gives him his boat, and the little boy just walks down the sidewalk right out the door and just says, little boat, you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. And that's God's heart for us. He made us. He lost us in the winds of temptation, in the winds of sinful nature that Adam and Eve set in motion in the garden. And He bought us back. We've been bought at a price. We've been bought with blood of the one and holy, one and only holy sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And so, with my whole life, I am a steward. With my whole life, everything I have belongs to God. Time. What is my time? What do I do with my time? Do I, I how faithful I am in making it to church in the first place? But then, what am I doing with the other ninety percent of my hours? And am I honoring God? Am I, am I, you know, and see, even time is of this earth. Time is nothing but the marking of how fast it takes for the earth to spin and go around in orbit and, and all that stuff factored in. Time is all based on this earth and this earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so what do I do with all of my time? Let alone make it the church once in a while or half the time or even every Sunday. There's a lot more than 90% of our hours that we have to deal with after we come to church every time the doors are open. We've got a lot of hours. <laughs> and and, and our, our talent. Talent is used because these T's are nice and cozy for us to think about. And, and God gives us talent. He knits them into us when we are born. He knits us together in our mother's womb. And, but that talent in, in this purpose also is engulfing our gifts. Not only what he knits into us physically in athletic abilities or mental capacities or whatever, but in spiritual gifts that when we come to faith in him, he endows us with new talents that are of his spirit only to be meant for building the body of believers up. And so, and we're in a culture and we're in a world where, you know, most of us, our talent is, has kind of dictated what our career is. We're spending 40, 50 hours a week in some office or some field or something doing what our God has enabled us to do in talent. Our mind has been able to study certain things and learn how to do things, and we've had a propensity to do them, and, and we're getting paid to do them. And, and so we're spending a lot more hours to, to pay our bills with these talents. What are we doing with them for the Lord? And how do we, even in the workplace, consider that this job that I have is from Him and it's His. This job opening is His. And these people that I'm working with are His. And I'm here 40 hours a week. This is God's time to be with them through me. This is God's time to, to show them that what, what a disciple of Christ is like in this field of work. What a disciple is like as a fisher of men. What a disciple is like as a tax collector. What a disciple is like... A tax collector who will repay debts. <laughs> Zacchaeus. You know, that oh, I'm, I'm a disciple now, and so everything I wrongfully took, I'm paying back. That's what a disciple is going to do because they realize they have been, they've been harming God's will in what they do. And so our time, our talent, and of course, this is where it comes in, the treasure, our possessions, all that we have. What do we use our TV for? What do we use our computer for? What do we use? What do we do? What do we buy with our money? All of it, not just ten percent. Now, if I am, if it's not about ten percent, but what I do with a hundred percent, if I'm faithful with a hundred percent of God's stuff, that means whatever He tells me to do with a hundred percent of the stuff, I'm doing. And if His Word says, tithe, give ten percent to the storehouse, and I'm a hundred percent faithful, guess where ten percent's going? It's not the end all. And, and, and if you're new with us, I, I hope you'll understand. We're not, you know, I, sometimes new people leave and go, well, yeah, I tried church and they talk about money. The church is all about money. I hope you can see that that is a small portion of this whole thing we're calling stewardship. 
that for me to be a disciple who is really going to teach others to follow Christ, I need to be 100 percent. And I know there's discussion and argument about whether tithe is a New Testament principle or an Old Testament principle. And, and we address that and there's new people among us. And so, yeah, what about that? And, and I just say, OK, fine, you be a New Testament giver. You be a New Testament giver and you consider nothing of yours as your own. And if you have some property, sell them and bring the money to my feet so I can help meet the needs of people who don't have food in our in our church. Because New Testament concept is way above 10%. It's 10% of, of storehouse for the priesthood minister plus everything you got available to anybody else who has need. None of them claimed what they had among each other and nobody among them had need. It was, it, well, I'm not going to say the word, but because in our political structure there's a scary word, but it, it's communalism. <laughs> that with the right heart and the right integrity was how the Church of Christ was empowered and winning its world from a ragtag bunch of guys. So yeah, time, talent, treasure. And we've heard those three, but I've added to it our thoughts. Our thoughts. This is a battle. No one else knows our thoughts except for the Spirit within us. We can think a lot of things and no one else has to know. And we all battle that. But our thoughts belong to God. And it makes me think, you know, when I say, you know, oh, this is my wife. Oh, these are my kids. Oh, look at our home, our house, my car, my wallet, my money. As a steward, really, my. My wife is God's daughter. And I remember a speaker at a youth convention at NYC one time said, guys, if you're dating a gal right now, and you don't marry her, you're dating someone else's future wife. How do you want guys that are dating your future wife to treat her? <laughs> and, 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 and not only think about it, but a daughter of God. Amy is God's creation. That He has blessed my life with a journey together. And, and Griffin and Annabella, He knit them together in her womb. I didn't. Got to be a fun part of the process, but I didn't knit them together. In the womb. Oh, that's two, two times, too much information. One more and I'm out, okay? <laughs> my home, my car, as we said, he's made it all. All of it is his. And, and Amy and I had a little bit in our journey that we just wanted to share with you um, today. And I was going to ask Amy to just come up if she would and share a time in, in our journey together, in our marriage and our discipleship as a home. So have at it. <laughs> okay, so um, I was um, practically born in the Nazarene Church in Anaheim. I think my first day of church, I was a week old. And from a very young age, my parents taught me about getting allowance, and if I got a dollar, that I brought a dime and put it in the um, offering plate at the children's church. And so I knew that, and I understood tithing um, from a young age. But somehow when I became a teenager and I actually started getting a paycheck where um, – they gave me, you know, I, I got that number on the check, but, you know, you get that little stub with the other stuff that's on there. Um, it wasn't computing with me that, um, that that was actually my pay, not that number that they actually gave me. You all tracking with me? Everybody has those little numbers taken out of your paycheck, right? So, um, and that just kind of continued. And so James and I got married and um, about, I was looking at, I actually, did this little testimony um, about 10 years ago in one of the churches we were in. So about um, seven years or so into our marriage, um, James was preaching about tithing at one of the churches we were at, and he used an illustration that I had actually seen a long time ago, but it didn't click, um, where um, he had 10 apples up on the um, pulpit or the table or whatever. And use that to illustrate what we do with that and how if we, you know, take the money for our house or our car payment or food out of that first, then often there is not that one apple that belongs to the Lord left at the end of it. But if we take that out first and then taxes and all this. And you know what? In that moment, all of a sudden it hit me, oh, we're not really tithing because <laughs> we just are paying tithes on that portion that we get. But there are a lot of other things that go in with that. And um, so I had that thought, and instantaneously at the same time, um, I thought, oh, we can't afford to do that. Um, 
See, this is another subject for another day, but um, but throughout the course of our marriage and uh, generational curse stuff from both families, we deal with some debt issues. And really, I could not fathom how that extra money would be an option at that moment. And I really just kept feeling God nag me and say, you don't trust me. And I thought, well, I do, but come on. <laughs> that's like, that's a lot more money. Um, so anyway, James and I talked about it and we prayed about it and we decided, okay, we're going to do it. And we wrote that first check at the beginning of the month. And I really couldn't see um, all the numbers of how that was going to work out at the end of the month. And, you know, we got to the end of that month and our bills were paid and we ate and there was nothing that went unmet. And so we continued in that pattern. About, I can't remember, this was a while ago, but about three or four months after we made that commitment, I worked at Biola University in the admission office, and my boss called me in and he said, Amy, you know, you've been doing a wonderful job, and we got a little bit extra money to help with um, raises this year, and we decided that we're going to give you a 10% raise. And I went, whoa, because that was way more than what that amount was, right, that we didn't think we had. And then um, a couple of months after that, he called me in his office again, and somebody on staff that was an assistant director position had left, and he kind of created a position for me um, that was a promotion and had another 10% raise. I kind of think it's interesting that the amounts kept being 10% given what the lesson was. Um, and then along... I mean, this was a, a while ago, but along the journey, like God has just shown over and over again, and we had not always made wise choices with the entire stewardship that James was talking about this morning. Sometimes life happens and sometimes stupidity happens, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I will say that um, always, always he provides. And even I, and those of you who don't know, I work a weird job that most people don't understand where I don't know what my income is going to be every month. And it's always kind of a nail biter. And he always provides. And um, I honestly believe that it has to do with um, that decision to be obedient. And I just want to read something that I wrote when I gave this before, um, because I think it kind of encompasses what James is talking about. So it says, I'm here to testify that if you think you can't afford to tithe, you cannot afford not to. It's not about money. See, through this process, we've learned that like other material symbols in the Bible, things God asks us to do that don't make sense to outside people that God asks us to, whether it's baptism, communion, circumcision for the um, Israelites, that really didn't make any sense. It is a physical expression of what's in the heart. To say you can't tithe is to say you won't obey him and you can't trust God to provide exactly what you need. I heard some say that when we are faithful, you may not have an amazing outpouring of material blessings, but God will always provide exactly what you need to do what he called you to do. I don't want you to miss out on the amazing faith journey of obedience to do what he asks and then watch him do what he said he would do. So I just want to, I mean, often when there's a tithing message, people get uncomfortable and um, and it's not about that. It's not about what James thinks or those sheets you get at the end of the church here from the office and what they say. It's, a, it's between you and God, and it really is boils down to a trust issue. So if, I just wanted to share that this morning, that if any of you like us at that time hear this and go, I can't do that. You know, this is one of the only things in the Bible that God says to test him on. And it's one of the only things that he says we rob him of when we don't do it. And so I just encourage you, trust him and see what happens. See, you never know. (laughs) Thank you, Amy. You know, in that stretch, and she said life happens, and those are things you seem helpless. And, well, God didn't put us in a position because we had a home in Yakima that we purchased our first home. It was a modular on a on a new subdivision with alfalfa still around it that I had to mow down and make it act like a lawn. And um, and, and the value was supposed to go up because they were putting more out there. And, and when God moved us to another church, the, value, the market was down, and we barely got out of it, signing it over at the midnight hour, someone just taking over payments. We lost thousands of dollars to poor renters. Damage in the home. We lost thousands of dollars in that and barely got out alive financially with some hope of a future, you know. And then in Oakdale, same thing. We bought what we thought was really low. And when we came here, 
We owed the church $20,000 because we had to short sell to get out of it, to get down here to be with you all. And I mean, we've had all these kind of things that life happens. And, and it's the kind of stuff that says, well, we can't, we can't do it. And there was a stretch in, the, in all this that she was talking about where sometimes the blessings are kind of confusing or, or mixed bag because we were in that. Some of you may understand. We got her through Biola. We got her educated, graduated. I had student loans from Point Loma and it took me five years to get through. And, and she had loans from Biola and, and then these home deals. And I took a $15,000 cut and pay from my first youth ministry to my first senior pastor. I mean, you know, just all this stuff. And we could just sit and look at the real numbers, and, and, we, and we did. It didn't add up. And we were zero to zero every paycheck, paying minimum payments on this, minimum payment on that. And, and you know how long that, that, that is buried. And we even looked at uh, debt consolidation, where they say, pay your payments to us so your cards will go in default. And then when you're going into default, they'll work with us for lower amounts. So they can get something rather than nothing. And, 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 and we looked at that and we thought that's attractive, but we're not paying what we've agreed to pay. We took on the debt with the interest knowing it's there. And as long as we're able to do the minimum, we feel we're trying. If we can't do it, then we'll do something. But as long as we're able to make it, we need to be of integrity. And then we got blessed by getting rear-ended on the 101 freeway in Ventura. And you think, ah, insurance. We got a brand new car or nothing out of pocket and a $12,000 settlement that paid off the smallest debt thing we had that we could then take what we were sending in minimum payments and put a little extra on the next one and start making progress. Little thing. We weren't rich. <laughs> but you know, God just has taken care of us. And he'll do that with our time, our talent. Our... Can you imagine if everyone gave 10% of their hours to the ministry of the church? Everyone in here, 10%. Let's just consider a 15-hour day that you, can be, that you could consider where you're awake from 7 or 8 in the morning to 10 o'clock or so at night. I mean, not that you just consider you're, most of you are awake in somewhere around there. And so 10%, that's, a, that's, a, that's an hour and a half a day for each of you or each of us, let's, let's give a Sabbath. So instead of seven days, that would be six days at an hour and a half each. That's three hours a week given to the ministry of the church. I mean, in service, not just showing up. <laughs> but three hours of your time. What that would do for everyone in here doing three. How many hours is that? How many man hours would that be? A week. If there's 140 in here, three times that is 420. 420 hours a week? of labor for the kingdom around this place. <laughs> your talent, your gifts, your abilities. Using that, yes, you, you have to make a paycheck and you have to work enough hours to pay the bills and put food on the table. And yes, you can be a representative of God there, but what, what, how are those talents being used for God's kingdom? That was out there. That was not in here. Okay. That was strike three. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, treasure in our thoughts. We could go on, but we do want to come and move towards our community. We've got one more sitter to address, and that is I'm a body sitter. A body sitter. Not just speaking about my physical body. That's part of the life. That's part of the life sitter. But Acts is telling the leaders, and this is for leaders, I acknowledge that, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So see, we as individuals, we are bought with a price. We are not our own. And the body that we're a part of called the church is his that he bought with his own blood. This is his body. We together are his bodies. And yes, he's speaking to leaders to shepherd. But we have an obvious call that we are stewards of us. All of us are stewards of us together. In caring for each other in doing everything we can to build each other up. And one of the scriptural examples of a violation of that, it does happen to fall on, on silver and gold. But Israel, when they had moved through victoriously and, and had all kinds of loot and spoils of war that they 
they would use. They would use spoils of war to make more weapons from the metals. They would use the animals in the war machine. They'd use the people in slavery to make these things. And God said, you know, wipe it all out. This is after Jericho when they first came across. They came across the Jordan. They can't go back. This is the first thing they're taking in the new land. And they got all of it still to conquer with the enemy still out there. But they got this land. And, and instead, God says, you can't use this for new battles. You need to give it all to me. Get rid of it. But bring the silver and gold into the storehouse. He commanded them to bring the silver and gold into the storehouse. And there was a man named Achan. And Achan thought, you know what? Out of all that stuff, they're not going to know if I just have enough in my tent to help my family out. And so he hid some in his tent of the silver and gold that God had said to bring all of it, 100%, into into the storehouse. And Israel started losing their battles. The whole nation started losing because of Achan's Sin. Achan caused the whole nation some Achan. You know what I mean? Achan cost the whole nation of Israel some Achan. What? That's four? That's four? Okay, thanks Dave. Appreciate it. Love the encouragement, brother. Um, so keeping the devoted things in your own tent hurts the whole camp. That's scriptural. And, and if we're stewards of each other and we think about this whole place together and we're, we've hired on Matt to minister to our youth and, and build a, a ministry so families can have well-rounded men and Daisy and children and, and we're paying and we're paying for electricity and, and, and air conditioning and, and those units are going to go out and we're going to have a huge, you know, and it costs a lot of money. And just, just, just as an individual, I have to ask myself, what if everyone in the church gave like I do? What shape would the church be in? If everyone in the church gave like I do, what shape would it be in? If they gave their time like I do, what would get done around here? If everybody gave of their time like I do, if everyone served in their gifting like I do, what kind of ministries would be going on around here? And if everyone gave their tithes and offerings like I do, what would the financial shape of the church be in if everyone did it like I do? See, we are stewards of God's stuff. Everything. And of each other. And God does say, you know, He said to Israel, but you're asking, how do we rob you? And we can come up with all kinds of clever things of justifying why we don't do what God's Word tells us to do. I heard someone preach that it's not this, and it doesn't say that. How God's asking me today, and He's asking you, how do you rob Him? Is it in the time? Is it in the talent? Is it in the treasure? It's not a scale. If I, you know, and some people say, well, I tithe with my time because I can't afford to do it with money. Well, there's a percentage that you've just reduced of faithfulness in God. Towards God. And, well, I give my tithe so let other people, so we can pay other people to do the ministry. I don't have to, I don't have to show up and do ministry. I can pay, I'll pay a little more tithe so we can pay other people to do it. And no, you're robbing God of the gifts and abilities He's given you to be used in service. It's not about money. It's about stewardship. A lifestyle of recognizing God's ownership of all that I am and all that I have. And God did say, test me in this. And He said, if you are robbing me, zap, you're gone. (laughs) No, that's not what He did. That's five. He said, return to me. And I will return to you. Test me in this. And the Bible is the authority. I'm lifting up Scripture, not my opinion. I'm lifting up a journey of becoming disciples who will have the power to make disciples because that power comes from the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life and through us in a sincere, personal journey of personal discipleship. And this is a part of it. And, and the last thing, and we refer you back to the Bible. I've said it before, but I hope all my messages... Reflect this. The Bible is the B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. DC Talk said that at a NYC 30 years ago that I was at. And I've never forgotten it. Basic instructions before leaving earth. God has left us in charge of His creation. We're His sitters of everything that's here. And He has left us instructions Basic instructions before leaving earth. 
when he comes back to take us to be with him forever, it will be good for that servant who finds him doing what he has said. One to the power of one. These messages are fashioned for us to learn how God's Word opens up the power of the one in our life. We have to remove the power of the one to let the power of the one flow in me. There's a good old song that says, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And in it, it says, um, well, I thought I had it in my notes, but perfect submission. What a sweet salvation. I'm a purchase of God. And in perfect submission, there's this blessed assurance. Yeah, Jesus is mine. I get the benefit, but I get it because I'm in perfect submission to Him. And so Matt, Pastor Matt is going to come and he's going to lead us in a time of communion. I know what time it is, but this is our first Sunday of the month. Thank you for your faithfulness and hearing God's Word. But Jesus did it all. Matt, will you come? Jesus gave all of Him for us. And He wants us to give all of us to Him. Matt, lead us.
my soul. 